This is Dr. Mark McCullough with another reading from Dante's Inferno, this time Canto 9 from the translation by Mark Musa. The color of the coward on my face, when I realized my guide was turning back, made him quickly change the color of his own. He stood alert like one who strains to hear. His eyes could not see far enough ahead to cut the heavy fog of that black air. But surely we were meant to win this fight, he said, or else... But no, such help was promised. Oh, how much time it's taking him to come. I saw too well how quickly he amended his opening words with what he added on. They were different from the ones he first pronounced. But nonetheless, his words made me afraid. Perhaps because the phrase he left unfinished, I finished, with worse meaning than he meant. Has anyone before ever descended to this sad hollow's depths from that first circle whose pain is all in having hope cut off? I put this question to him. He replied, it is, not un it is not usual for one of us to make the journey I am making now, but it happens I was down here once before, conjured by that heartless witch, Eric, though, who could recall the spirit to its body. Sooner after I had left my flesh in death, she sent me through these walls and down as far as the pit of Judas to bring a spirit out. And that place is the lowest and the darkest and the farthest from the spheres that circles all. I know the road, and, well, you can be sure. This swamp that breathes with a prodigious stink lies in a circle round the doleful city that now we cannot enter without strife. And he said other things, but I forgot them, for suddenly my eyes were drawn above, up to the fiery top of that high tower where in no time at all and all at once sprang up three hellish furies stained with blood, their bodies and their gestures those of females. Their waists were bound in cords of wild green hydras, horned snakes, and little serpents grew as air, as hair, and twined themselves around the savage temples. And he who had occasion to know well the handmaids of the queen of timeless woe cried out to me, Look there, the fierce Irenes, that is Megara, the one there to the left, and that one raving on the right, Electo, Tisiphone in the middle. He said no more. With flailing palms the three would beat their breasts, then tear them with their nails, shrieking so loud. I drew close to the poet, confused with fear. Medusa, come, we'll turn him into stone, they all shouted together glaring down. How wrong we were to let off Theseus lightly. Now turn your back and cover up your eyes, for if the Gorgon comes and you shall see her, there would be no returning to the world. These were my master's words. He turned me round and did not trust my hands to hide my eyes, but placed his own on mine and kept them covered. Oh, all of you whose intellects are sound, Look now and see the meaning that is hidden beneath the veil that covers my strange verses. And then, above the filthy swell, approaching, a blast of sound, shot through with fear, exploded, making both shores of hell begin to tremble. It sounded like one of those violent winds, born from the clash of counter-temperatures, that tears through forests. Raging on unchecked, 
It splits and rips and carries off the branches and proudly whips the dust up in its path and makes the beasts and shepherds flee its course. He freed my eyes and said, Now turn round and set your sights along the ancient scum, there where the marsh's mist is hovering thickest. As frogs before their enemy, the snake, all scatter through the pond and then dive down until each one is squatting on the bottom. So I saw more than a thousand fear-shocked souls in flight, clearing the path of one who came walking the sticks, his feet dry on the water. From time to time, with his left hand, he fanned his face to push the putrid air away, and this was all that seemed to weary him. I was certain now that he was sent from heaven. I turned to my guide, but he made me a sign to keep my silence and bow low to this one. Ah, the scorn that filled his holy presence. It reached the gate and touched it with a wand. It opened without resistance from inside. O oh, heaven's outgasts, despicable souls, he started, standing on the dreadful threshold. What insolence is this that breeds in you? Why do you stubbornly resist that will whose end can never be denied, and which more than one time increased your suffering? What do you gain by locking horns with fate? If you remember well, your cerebrus still bears his chin and throat peeled clean for this. He turned then and retraced the squalid path without one word to us, and on his face the look of one concerned and spurred by things that were not those he found surrounding him. And then we started moving towards the city in the safety of the holy words pronounced. We entered there and with no opposition. And I, so anxious to investigate the state of souls locked up in such a fortress, once in the place allowed my eyes to wander and saw, in all directions spreading out, a countryside of pain and ugly anguish. As at Arles, where the Rhone turns to stagnant waters, or as at Pola near Coronero's gulf that closes Italy and bathes her confines, Sulpicers make all the lands uneven, so they did here, strewn in all directions, except the graves here served a crueler purpose. For scattered everywhere among the tombs were flames that kept them glowing far more hot than any iron an artisan might use. Each tomb had its lid loose, pushed to one side, and from within came forth such fierce laments that I was sure inside were tortured souls, I asked, Master, what kind of shades are these lying down here, buried in the graves of stone, speaking their presence in such dolorous sighs? And he replied, There lie arch-heretics of every sect, with all of their disciples. More than you think are packed within these tombs. Like heretics lie buried with their like, and the graves burn more or less accordingly. Then turning to the right, we moved ahead between the torments there and those high walls. All right, let's start off by comparing some of the translations uh, with this. Um, I like this passage about the frog. So um, that's line 76. Um, and and this, is, um, uh, this is Sayer's translation. Uh, she translates Dante. And as the frogs spying the foeman, sna the foeman snake go squattering over the pond and dive and sit huddled in the mud, even so I saw them break. 
That's that's nice. Let me just repeat news as even though I know you just heard it, but um, as frogs before their enemy, the snake all scatter through the pond and then dive down until each one is squatting on the bottom. And then um, finally, Hollander's uh, translation of 76. He translates it this way. As frogs before their enemy, the snake all scatter through the water till each sits huddled on the bank. I saw more than a thousand lost souls flee before one. Uh, so um, some playfulness there in the, in the, in the sayers, which is interesting. Um, I noticed that the, the sayers, the more I go back and contrast the music with the sayers, the sayers has got almost a kind of an earthly, earthy feeling. She almost makes up words at certain times. Um, and I think the humor comes across a little better. Um, I'm not sure there's a whole lot of humor here. Uh, there's a lot of fear, though, and that's where we're going to start. There seems to be a cycle in, in Dante of, um, of fear uh, that then will turn to pity, will turn to some kind of failure on Dante's part, and then a, a form of success. So Argente, who we saw um, a few cantos ago, that's the success uh, of Dante. That is, to, to, according, to, according to Virgil, he's successful in not pitying the sin. And here, um, he starts to feel afraid again, Dante does, because the gates of, uh, the, gates of the city of Dis have been closed to them. And so, um, and so here we are in the cycle. I'd like to mention that cycle a little bit. Um, uh, in, uh, in a kind of more free-flowing discussion of the way in which Canto Nine has this classical environment infused with Christian surprise. That's sort of my um, a thesis here. Um, it's not really a thesis so much. It's not really an argument so much as just simply a description. It's a classical environment infused with Christian surprise. And um, Dante does this really well. He makes up, he makes up stuff um, that we don't have any other sources for. And he also pulls from, um, uh, from former poets, um, uh, pagan poets, uh, such as Virgil, of course, but also um, infuses that 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 pagan poetry with, um, as I as I said, Christian surprise, and so um, as they wait there by the gate, um, Dante is um, afraid, and he again is looking for Virgil, looking to Virgil for a sign of of comfort, and he starts to find some in Virgil. Um, we saw the uh, the end of last canto where. Um, Dante begins to trust or is trusting Virgil um, like a child trusts his mother. Um, so you see you see Virgil still kind of struggling here uh, with the meaning behind why the gate uh, to the city has been locked to him. And uh, in line seven, he says, but surely we were meant to win this fight. He says, or else, and then there's an ellipsis there, um, or else as if he were thinking, mm, maybe we weren't meant to win, but no such help was promised. Um, and oh, it's taking so much time to come. And so again, this canto, like Canto Eight, has that element of um, of fear and of anxiety. And even though we know this, this well, we know this this uh, this pilgrimage is going to be successful, but still Dante helps us to to doubt such a such a success, and he makes it appear as if um, all is lost. Um, Dante's description here uh, throughout the canto looking at Virgil, reading Virgil's face, um, trusting him, but still afraid. He says in line 13, but nevertheless, his words made me afraid. 
and his words made him afraid in part because he himself, he Dante himself has sort of you know ended uh, Virgil's unended sentence by suggesting that the two of them were uh, were set up for failure here and then he puts a uh, question to to Virgil and you'll find throughout the divine comedy that when there's a pause in the action Dante will take the opportunity there to ask questions and so he asks Virgil um uh, you know, how, um, how, how often has this kind of thing happened, you know, that we, uh, that someone has, has, has been stuck or someone from the upper air or from someone from limbo or someone from the, the other, the, the part of hell that we just left, how often has someone ever been down here to make this journey? And Virgil replies with, uh, an odd, uh, story about, uh, the heartless witch, um, a necromancer, um, uh, which is entirely Dante's creation. This is this has no, um, uh, this has really no absolute uh, analogy in 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 any biblical texts. Um, uh, there's a there's a in in the notes. I'm told um, this is not something I would know um, because I never would have read um, uh, read it. Um, uh, but Dante um, uh, Dante is making a uh, reference here with this necromancer and the conjuring up the dead spirits to the, to, to Lucan and uh, a poem or a work called the Pharsalia um, in which uh, there is a necromancer called um, Arikthro and um, uh, there really doesn't seem to be any other, any other uh, information for us here except that, you know, Dante is um, probably paralleling Aeneas's um, own journey down to the underworld, um, and uh, with an emphasis on the Sibyl and the Sibyl's own um, kind of witchy, witchy powers here. So Virgil takes up this um, short story in which he tells uh, Dante that he has indeed been here before um, on a mission. Um, on, on a mission uh, conjured by by this witch. Um, and he says, in the Hollander translation, Virgil talking here, I had not long been naked of my flesh when she comp compelled me to go inside this wall to fetch a spirit from the circle of Judas. And that is the lowest place, the darkest and farthest. So, uh, well, I do know the way. Do not have any fear. So I've been here before. Um, under an unusual, in, in an unusual circumstance. Uh, and Dante tells this story. So there's this classical environment that Dante is, is drawing up for Virgil is, um, is indeed classical, but it's uh, actually quite original and romantic in, in its own way. And this classical environment is, allude, is, is created again, or developed again, by the um, encounter with the Three Furies. Now, these three furies, uh, Megara, Electo, Tisiphon, they're uh, from, they're the Irenes, or the, or the fates. And uh, in classical mythology, they were the avenging goddesses of crime. Um, Sayers says in her, in her notes to her translation of the Inferno that allegorically these three, um, these three female furies represent the, quote, fruitless remorse which does not lead to penitence. Um, and... Uh, and that is the role that, according to, to, to Sayers, they play here, that, that there's a kind of um, uh, a, fa a fadedness, a tra an entrapment 
Uh, and yet, uh, despite the fact that these furies are sort of entrapped within their own, their own remorse, they cause Dante quite a bit of fear. And here, again, is where this classical environment is um, kind of infused with, if not Christian surprise, just simply surprise, where Virgil says, uh, you know, cover your eyes or you will be turned to stone. And if you're familiar with the, the mythology of Medusa, you know exactly that is um, the power of Medusa, which is to anyone gazing upon Medusa's face will be turned to stone. Um, interestingly enough, Virgil doesn't trust Dante even to cover his own face, to cover his own eyes, and so covers it for him. I love it. Um, and uh, so there's real fear here, and there's really there's real drama here. Um, and and this, you know, what's what's so unique about Dante and the treatment of these mythological figures like the Furies is that he really he really seems to believe that they're real, that they're just because Aeneas, or just because Virgil has written about them, that they are somehow like part of the zoology of the, of the world, right? That there are furies, and um, you know, that there are Girin, who we'll see later, or Cerebris, or all, any of these, any of these mythological creatures are actual creatures with real powers, um, and so, um, and so it gives it real weight throughout the poem, um, and a real drama. Uh, Dante could be overcome, could be turned to stone. If he didn't, uh, if he if he didn't uh, know what to do. So. The the the, the canto ends uh, as a way of introducing Canto Ten, and so which is the which is the sin of heresy and those who suffer, in hell from being heretics the the heretics and, and the disciples which is um, and their disciples which is really interesting and we'll look at next time. Uh, the two other pieces in this canto that are worth discussion. Um, the first is this uh, this rather um, opaque kind of um, uh, almost occult um, reference to the secret underneath uh, the text that is to lift the veil. And um, this is in the this is in line. 61 to 63. Oh, all of you whose intellects are sound, look now and see the meaning that is hidden beneath the veil that covers my strange verses. Um, Sayers translates it, Oh, you whose intellects keep their sanity, do you mark well the doctrine shrouded over by the strange verses with their mystery? And then finally, Hollander um, has it translated at line 61 as, O oh, you who have sound intellects, consider the teaching that is hidden beneath the veil of these strange verses, almost the exact same as Musa. And in, in, um, instead of explicating or unpacking this passage, I'll just, no just note that this has been a mystery as to uh, what exactly Dante is referring to. Is Dante referring to the, pa to the description of, um, of the Furies uh, and of Medusa and the Gorgons? Uh, or is he referring to the passage that is uh, to come? Uh, and so this has, uh, I'll just let you know, just as a, as a, as a key is that there hasn't been much, um, there hasn't been much agreement on what exactly Dante is referring to here. But Dante will do this kind of, um, kind of uh, aside, you know, in a dramatic form, like it's when, it's, when, a, when a character steps aside from their, monologue and addresses the audience dir uh, directly and this is what Dante is doing he's addressing the reader directly he's basically saying there is this uh, almost like Gnostic like teaching underneath the text and those of you who know um, what I'm 
what I'm saying will know what I'm saying, or those that those of you who can look beneath will look beneath and pull apart the veil. So this is kind of an esoteric moment. I mentioned a cult. I'm not sure why I mentioned that so much, but you know, it's something we 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 associate with kind of this almost conjuring up of this idea that somehow we'll be able to you know see underneath uh, the the word into the spirit. I really meant to use the word esoteric. Um, which is like a hidden meaning behind all of this, a kind of, you know, Dante-esque Gnosticism. And so he does this several times, most notably in um, Purgatory 8 as well, where he says there's something beneath. So I'll just, you know, tease you with this. Um, and if you're interested, you should you should definitely take um, a look at Hollander's notes in his translation of the Inferno uh, to what that, that, what that might mean. Musa as well has a good section on this. Um, about the meaning hidden beneath the veil that covers my strange verses. As a reader of Dante, I'm always struck by how he reinterprets the classical uh, to infuse it with Christian hope as I or, or surprise, which I've noted at the beginning, and um, how this discussion, uh, this dramatization of the Furies and the fate that is involved there is very much an echo of, of, the, of the Aeneid, uh, where too there are furies. Um, I think it's Electo, right, who comes down and does the does the work of Juno, um, and is rebuffed in the conclusion of that uh, epic poem by uh, uh, by the the supreme uh, ruler of the universe, who is kind of fate in a sense. In this case, Aeneas's own um, vocation, his own calling, his own fate, and Turnus's death there at the ending. I've always noted, I've, 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 I've often noted, my, noticed myself that this heavenly kind of power, you know, is not personal, it's impersonal. And I love the description here of the angel that comes down and who rebuffs uh, the furies here. It's very classical in its reach. And of course, it has, it is infused with sort of a Christian uh, sort of knowingness, you know, the, the, um, this particular individual, this particular angel speaks of, you know, speaks of the will of God, but also speaks of fate as in a classical fate. But I've always been struck by the, the kind of like, I don't know, like the almost, <laughs> the almost eerie indifference um, of, of heaven in, in place of, of hell. We saw this earlier with, with an angel who flew down into hell um, to offer assistance, but, you know, rushed right back. Uh, went right back because um, uh, because there was nothing really to to see. Um, Dante's description here of uh, this this angel who comes uh, to open the gate um, in eighty eight, uh, Musa has it translators ah the scorn that filled his holy presence. Um, it's also translated in Hollander as. Ah, uh, how full of high disdain he seems to me. Now, this disdain, of course, is 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 um, directed at the Furies and at the and of course at the demonic powers that are trying to stop the, the Dante's journey. But you know, um, this this almost otherworldly, heavenly indifference. Um, I wouldn't call it indifference, but but almost like a like a dissociation. You might say in psychological terms. Um, that is in, in, in direct contrast to the fear uh, that Dante and Virgil felt at the beginning of the passage is, is quite interesting. So 
um, we're reminded again, and Dante is reminded not to fear because of the fate, because of the, the, the absolute omnipotence of divine power. And again, this is, this is a classical trope as well. We see this uh, in Homer and in uh, and others, and as we, there's a book uh, by Lloyd Lloyd Jones called *The Justice of Zeus*. If you've ever read it, it's very interesting. It's very interesting work on how the Greeks' uh, conception of Zeus changes throughout their history. And Zeus starts off as this sort of humanized. Um, uh, he's like the big daddy among a room of you know big daddies and mamas. Right, but he uh, he begins to become less, uh, you know, like leader of the group of Olympus, and more like this kind of abstraction of fate and of um, uh, uh, and of universal determination. Um, and so we see some of this universal determination, kind of an abstraction uh, of the kind that we saw with Zeus with the Greeks. We see it in the angels and in the machinations of the divine. And it's this scorn or this disdain towards evil, but also something that Dante notices and is, um, I'd say, you know, there's a, it's sublime, right? It's a kind of almost sublime detachment from things of evil. Um, and, you know, this could also reinforce the logic or the reason that, that Virgil is represents as well, which is that with reason these uh, moments in our in our existence where gates are locked to us or gorgons appear before our face um we're, they're not to be feared because they're you know they 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 they're they're meaningless in in in, in the end that evil is not just um is it, it, is not a horrible thing that fear is not a horrible thing it's something to be ignored it has zero substance it is absolute lack and so these questions that the angel asks, why do you gain by locking horns with fate? Obviously, you're not going to get anything from this. You're just going to be rebuffed, just like Cerberus did uh, as well by, I think it was by Hercules, who scarred him on the, on the chin and throat. So again, just my uh, noticing of this, of this and Dante's own musing of the sublime indifference of, 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 the, of the heavenly um, Yes, this is like a surprise that this angel just shows up and, you know, sort of glides across the marsh. But also when, um, when Dante, you know, sees this, uh, sees this angel, the angel is not a smiling, beautiful, um, kind, gentle force. It's a force of nature, right? The force of nature, it's a sublime. And there's something, um, there's something scary about it too, uh, but scary good, of course.